This is a special, special day for us. At least it is for me, as a priest. Because one of the most important things I can do in my preaching is to lead you through what the church calls an exegesis of the scriptures. Exegesis is a Greek word that means to lead out or to draw out the meaning of a thing. So in the case of the scriptures, we draw out what Christ has intended for us in his words or in his stories or in his parables. Depending on the passage, this is sometimes a simple matter, uh, but at other times it's hugely difficult. It's caused division and schism in the church, certain interpretation of passages. And so the gift for us tonight is that Jesus gives us the exegesis. He, he already tells us what he means by what he says. Uh, that, not that there's nothing left for us to do, because his very ex- explanation is in itself somewhat confusing. So we can dig into the word and see what we find. First, I want to look at the, the approach that Jesus makes to this, this preaching, this day of preaching which is interesting in itself. He, he goes down and sits by the sea, but the crowd gets so big that he's annoyed or, or doesn't think that he's in a good place, so he gets up and hops in a boat. And you think, why is Jesus pulling away from the crowds? What's going on here? Well, sort of like, if, have you ever gone to a movie, but you showed up late, and you walk in, and the only seats left are the seats right in the front of the movie theater? You're like, oh, well, now I'm going to be craning my neck all night. I'm not going to be able to get a good idea of what's going on in this movie. Or you walk into a, a museum and you, you enter a room and you look to your left and there's a fresco or painting that takes up the entire wall and you sort of have to stumble back to get a perspective of the entire painting and actually be able to take it in. Or you can switch perspectives to being the actor in the moment. If, if any of you are football fans, or if any of you have no idea what happens in a football game, you might see a quarterback take a snap and do a six-step drop. Big drop back. I mean, actually, from shotgun, they probably aren't going to do a six-step drop, but say they do. they got a cannon arm. If you don't know anything about football, you're thinking, whoa, 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 why is this guy going in the opposite direction that he wants to go? But if you know anything about football, you think, well, He's getting a perspective of the field. He's getting a more full vision of what's going on downfield in order that he can make an accurate pass to the the receiver who's open. And so we see Jesus doing a very similar thing. He's not distancing himself. He's, in the words of Erasmo Lieva Maricakis, who's a great scripture scholar, he says he's backing up that he might hurl the abundance of God's word over every member of the multitude. And so he hurls this divine word, this parable. What are we going to do with it? I I go time and time to this scripture, and every time the Lord speaks to me in a different way, because it's so dense and complicated. And today I want to look at it in perhaps a different way, uh, but not a unique way. It's not unique to the fathers of the church. Because we often want to see the different types of soil as different people's souls. So we've got the person whose soul is hardened to the Lord's word. That's the path. We've got the person who's surrounded by, uh, surrounded by a terrible situation, the thorns, choked out. 
by the situation of his life or, or the anxieties of life, uh, the person who's got a very shallow faith, or the fertile soil. We want to see those as different people. But we can also see it as different parts of our own heart, different parts of our own soul, different ways in which the Lord sometimes finds fertile soil in us and other times does not. Uh, and we can examine ourselves in that way. So we see God the Father as the one, we see it in the first reading, as the one who, in a sense, brings down the nutrients and the sun to the soil and, and makes things grow. And Jesus is that farmer who, who seems to not be a great farmer in many ways. He's just hurling seed in a wide arc, not caring where it falls. Sometimes it falls in the path, sometimes it falls in the, in the thorns. It doesn't matter to him. He's just hurling it with reckless abandon. And though that seems sort of ridiculous in the story, it's actually how he works in our life. Because, and, and it's an important spiritual principle because we often get this idea that we somehow need to prepare the soil of our own heart first before God ever enters in. And that is a mistake because we can't do it. God has to enter in first. He's the one who prepares the soil and then he's the one who flings the seed. In the ancient world, a farmer would cast the seed and then they would plow the soil afterward and do it like we do today where we plow and then plant the seed after. They just cast the seed everywhere and then plant or, and plow and hope that the seed is driven down into the ground. So even if the Lord finds that imperfect soil in our hearts, he can come and till up the soil afterwards and drive that seed down. And then it's up to us to, in a sense, cultivate it and make it grow. And, and sometimes that seed is driven down into our hearts in various ways, often through suffering, actually. Suffering sometimes from external sources where we aren't the result of our own suffering. It just comes upon us and sort of rends us. At other times, it is our fault. It's the result of our own sin. But it breaks us and opens us up to a vulnerability to the Lord. But most of the time, it's actually through a sort of subtle but quiet peace that we know is from the Lord, that only the Lord can give. It's rarely some big event. Or the opposite of that, it could come from a subtle but quiet, desperate feeling or emptiness that we've tried to fill with everything in the world, but we can't. And we realize that it can only be filled with the Lord. So God casts the seed, churns up our heart in whatever way he needs to. He has a million ways to do it. And it's up to us to accept the grace. And if we do, which we do at varying times and in various ways, then we have a responsibility to act the same toward the people that we love. And I could think of three relationships here uh, where we need to, in a sense, be like Jesus, the farmer who just flings seed in every direction with reckless abandon. If you're married, your spouse, if you have children, do this with your children. And for all of us, we have this responsibility to the poor. That in all three of those relationships, we cast God's love wide and with abandon and with no expectation of return, with true selflessness. That's our responsibility as Christians. Your spouse, your child, and the vulnerable poor need our love and, and they need it in a way that we need to just love them with nothing in return. When the poor demand my attention or my charity or my 
friendship, I ought to treat them as God treats me. Because God gives me grace knowing that I'm going to waste it. He knows when he gives me a grace that I'm going to waste it. He knows when he shows me his love in a special way that I'm going to reject it. But he does it anyways. Knowing that, that's the way we relate to the poor. We don't demand an upright return for our investment. So let us go forth, letting God's love sink in deep to our heart. Let it not be stolen away by anything. Go forth to our families and to the poor and give in the way that we receive, freely and with abandonment. Amen.